Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. It is our honor and privilege to be part of the Hershen family, for me to continue to share our ministry with my wife. She's always been involved. In fact, the two churches I was privileged to pastor, I often said they tolerated me, but they loved her. And that continues in my life. And it's so good that we're part of this great family. And to be part of this faculty is a tremendous privilege. And uh, I don't take it lightly, lightly, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be part. I want to preach today about how to be a good person. How to be a good person. Difficult question when you think about it. The truth is, being a good person is harder than it sounds. And I'm done, so you can quit whenever you run out. I'm not going to read it today. It's harder than you think. He quit pretty quick, didn't he? There you go. It's harder than being a good keyboardist or guitarist or even a good preacher. It's harder. It really is harder. Because defining what a good person is, is a challenge. People define it in so many ways. And really according to their own desires and needs. If you ask the James brothers, the Dalton gang, Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, they would have told you they were good people. They had just been mistreated. The system was rigged against them. And they were just leveling the playing field with their murders and their robbery. So what is a good person? How can we know? Well, Paul tells us that there's something in us that really does know. We may redefine it. We may, we may place ourselves in special categories and change the meaning of the terms and all those other tricks that people use. But... Paul says in all of us, we know what's a good person. And all of us want to be a good person. He said, he said I, I, I want, I have a will, a desire. My problem is how to do that. In the seventh chapter of Romans, he said that in him, he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. And why? Why is there no good thing? In his flesh. He said because to will. Is present with me. I want to. But how. To perform. That which is good. I know not. We can see that higher path. But getting there. And then if we would happen to get there. To stay there. That's the challenge. So how do we. Become a good person. I think it's interesting that only twice in all the New Testament is someone called a good man. Only twice. Both of them by Luke. And you know, amazingly, both of them were named Joseph. Only Joseph. If your name's Joe today, you've got a head start, I guess. Because both of them were named Joseph. The first was Joseph of Arimathea. 
He was a secret disciple of Jesus. He, along with Nicodemus, began to be affected by and believed in what Jesus taught. Joseph of Arimathea was part of the Sanhedrin, and he tried to save Jesus' life. He tried to oppose, but when he failed, he stepped out of the shadows, and he asked for the body of the Lord, and he buried Jesus in his own tomb at risk to his own standing and his own life. And Luke says he was a good man. The other was Joseph of Cyprus. We know him better by his nickname that the apostles gave him. His nickname was Barnabas, Joseph of Cyprus. Barnabas is one of those biblical characters that when we first look at him, he doesn't seem to be so outstanding. He doesn't seem to be a, a major player, that he was someone that really mattered. But the truth is much different from that. Though we may not be that impressed by Barnabas, when we look closer, we see him in his true light. You have to get him out of the shadow of Paul in order to really see Barnabas, this good man. In fact, when you watch how he operated, you cannot help but see that he was a real mover and shaker in the early church. It was he who was sent by the church elders in Jerusalem to pastor the great revival that had broke out in the city of Antioch. He organized them. He brought them together. He began to preach and teach and pastor them. And that great revival became a great church that affected Christianity for centuries to come. And it was also him, when the church was well established, that he was directed of the Holy Ghost to go to Tarsus and bring Paul with him. And Paul served as his assistant pastor. And later when the church was at prayer and world missions was calling, that the Holy Ghost directed the church to send not Saul and Barnabas, but Barnabas and Saul to go preach the gospel where it had never been preached. We call it Paul's first missionary journey, but it really ought to be Barnabas's first missionary journey. When we see what happened on that, we find out who was the real leader and who was the one in the forefront. If you had been there, you would have seen these two men in a very different light. When they were preaching at Lystra and God healed a man who was lame from birth, the pagan citizens there said, we've been visited by gods. And they thought Barnabas and Saul, Paul, were gods. And they named them. They said, Barnabas there, he's Jupiter, he's Zeus. And Paul there, he's Mercury or Hermes. Now, when you understand what they were really saying, it changes your picture because Jupiter was the boss god. He was the big god. In fact, he was the father of all the other gods. Mercury, he was just the mouthpiece. He was the press secretary. So the way they saw these two preachers is that Barnabas was in charge and Paul was the evangelist. Now, when we think about that, it changes. You know, we know that Barnabas was without a doubt an outstanding leader and preacher and all of that and more deserving of recognition than we probably realize. But what earned him this high honor of being one of only two men in the entire New Testament that were called good men? 
What did he do? What does it mean? How do you be a good person? Well, first of all, Barnabas gave. You didn't think I was going to preach on that, did you? Bunch of broke college students. But you see, it isn't how much you give. It's that you give. And Barnabas was a giver. He was the first one when there was need in the church at Jerusalem to sell land and bring the money and give it to the apostles to use to bless others who were not as fortunate. He was the first one to care enough to lead this giving process that became a hallmark of the early church. When he was pastoring in Antioch and famine came to the church in Jerusalem, he didn't forget those folks. But instead, he passed the plate in Antioch, and he gave. And then he and Paul journeyed all the way to Jerusalem to bring this offering to help the people of God there. Let me tell you something. Stingy, selfish people are counted successful in our culture, but they are anything but good people. When you don't sacrifice, and I, and, and I want to expand this. I, I know it's about money, and I, I don't want you to forget that. I'm not letting you off the hook. But I want to tell you it's about time, and it's about energy, and it's about commitment. It's about your very life. If you're not willing to give your life to a cause bigger than your own comfort and your own fulfillment and your own fame and your own applause, then you're not a good person. But when you step out of the limelight and you push someone else there, when you reach down, when you really don't have it, but you give it anyway, when you go out of your way to lift up, encourage, strengthen somebody else, you're on your way to being a good person. The world may never note it, but that's what it takes. But second, like most generous people, Paul was an encourager. I shocked someone here last semester. I filled in. In a class for Brother McClintock. And when it was over, I noticed that there was a, a student in that class that went out of her way to say kind things and good things about people. And I made a comment to her. I said, you have a spirit of an encourager. And it seemed to flabbergast her and shock her. We all need to have the spirit of an encourager. The Bible says that this was so much a part of Barnabas' nature that the apostles, no less than the apostles, named him son of consolation or son of comfort or son of encouragement. He was Joseph, but he became known in history and in the word of God as an encourager above all other things. A pastor, a preacher, an organizer, a foreign missionary, a home missionary, a giver, a sacrificer. But above all, he went out of his way to encourage somebody. You know what? We need more, I think, than money. And we need more than, than expansion. And I thank God for all of that. And I don't downplay it. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But here's what I'm saying. We need to encourage one another. There's, there's students sitting in this chapel today that are on the verge of throwing up their hands and saying, I can't do it and I can't make it. I'm just going to go home and forget the whole thing. They need someone to slip up beside them and say, you can do this. You can make it through. You can make a difference. You have a ministry. We need encouragers at Urshan.
But thirdly, Barnabas was an encourager and I think a giver because he believed the best in people. He believed the best. It's easy to believe the worst. Who was it? Somebody said that bad news can travel around the world before good news gets its shoes on. And why is that? Why are we quick to repeat the bad and forget the good? Why is it when we see people, we tend to label them and many of our labels are negative? Why not label folks good things? He saw the good. Now, we don't often think about this, but here's the thing. When Paul went to Antioch and he made that trip to Troas, did you know that Saul was there laboring in obscurity, unrecognized, unknown for 10 years? He had made a splash when he first got in the church, but it was a negative splash because the church was afraid of him and the Jews hated him. No wonder he disappeared into Arabia for two years to study the scriptures. Journeyed to Jerusalem and met the leaders of the church to be sure that what he preached was what they preached. But then no doors opened. No opportunities came. He didn't make any difference. He went home to Troas. And there he labored for a decade. Unheralded with no opportunities. But it was Barnabas who remembered that persecutor who had gotten the Holy Ghost there in Damascus and who had deliberately given himself to preparation for the gospel. And when nobody else believed in him and nobody else gave him a chance, Pastor Barnabas traveled all the way to Troas and looked up that preacher and said, come with me. We're going to make a difference in Antioch. And it was there that Paul blossomed and Paul grew and Paul became the world changer until secular historians today rank him as the third most influential human being that has ever lived he would have died in Troas but Barnabas said I'm not going to believe anything bad about him I see some good in him and I'm going to build it in him let's quit retailing the negative and let's start retailing the positive about one another Let's quit looking for the failure in us. And let's see the potential success in all of us. Antioch was the third largest city in the world at that time. That was like POA or Calvary in Indy or, the, or Christian life in California. And the pastor went and got a forgotten preacher and said, I'm going to put you in the pulpit because you've got a future. And it changed the world. Get your brother out front and God will put you out front. Put your sister in a position of service and God will open a door for you too. Fourthly, Barnabas even saw the good. Let me back up. He saw the good in Mark. You remember Mark? Mark was a young preacher that Paul got mad at. Because Mark went on a missionary journey with them. He was Barnabas' nephew, by the way. And he got homesick. And he said, I don't, I'm, I'm going home. 
And Paul got mad. He said, what kind of preacher are you? What kind of missionary are you? Barnabas said, well, son, go on home. It'll be all right. And he went home. And then they were getting up the second missionary journey, and Barnabas put Mark's name on the list, and Paul struck that name out. He ain't going. He's a quitter. Barnabas said, oh, no, he, he's, he's grown a bit. He'll, he'll do a good job. Nuh-uh. And it became so contentious between them, they split. And Barnabas disappears from history only because Luke wrote that history. And he traveled with Paul, not with Barnabas. Mark went with Barnabas. And Mark made a difference to the point that years later, Paul said, Mark is profitable to me. He believed Barnabas in the good. And because of that, and because of his generosity, and because of his insistence on the good in people, Barnabas understood the value of unity. Now, this is a hard one, and I, I, I'm not going to belabor the point, and I hope I can make it where you understand it. One of the great issues in the first century church in its first few years was table fellowship. And what I mean by that is to sit down and eat a meal was much more than sitting down and eating a meal. It was accepting the folks around the table, and it meant you were equals and you were, you were brothers, so to speak, sisters. And the Jews valued that very much. And they had been taught all their lives, you don't sit at table with the Gentiles. Now, this became a bone of contention. Even though Peter opened the doors to the Gentiles to be saved when he went to Cornelius' house and preached. And God filled them with the Holy Ghost. And he was a voice for that at the first general conference in Acts 15. When they made the decision whether they would accept this or not, it was Peter's influence on James when James, who was the leader of the church, said, this is God at work. But later, when Peter and Barnabas were around some Gentile saints, they refused to sit at table with them. Paul would mention this some years later in writing, and he said, I withstood Peter to his face. Because he was wrong. He was to be blamed. But you see, Paul maybe didn't grasp what was going on. And maybe we don't see it as it really was. Let's look at the other side of it for a moment. The Jews were having a problem at that. And in this particular church, Paul was insisting that all that stuff meant nothing. But the Jewish saints were struggling with it. And Paul, or rather Peter and Barnabas said, it doesn't mean anything to the Gentiles. But the Jews have a problem. So let's keep the unity by catering a bit until the Jews can make the trip and accept it beyond their culture. Paul said, uh-uh, we ain't doing that. And it caused more contention in the church. Now, over time, it faded away and was no longer an issue. Over time, the Jews weren't bothered by it anymore. They kept praying with them and worshiping with them and calling them brother and sister until it bled into every part of their culture and it no longer mattered and unity was preserved. It just 
took some time. Who knows what would have happened if Paul had had his perfect way. If there would have been a split and we would have had a Jewish church and a Gentile church. But Peter and Barnabas said, no, we can't do that. Let's work with our weaker brothers and sisters and give them time to make the trip. It was Barnabas's sense of unity that kept the church together. And I'm glad to tell you, Paul came around to believe it. For when he wrote in the book of Romans to another church that was struggling with it, he said, let the strong bear the infirmities of the weak. And maybe he was thinking of his friend Barnabas when he wrote, if eating meat offends my brother, I will eat no meat while the world stands Unity is worth preserving. If you give up your way for a little bit in order to help a brother or sister along, give it up. If you deny yourself something that isn't wrong, but it helps my brother or sister, the book says I ought to do it. Why? Because there's strength in unity. When we forget our differences and we focus on our commonality, we can change our world this is an awesome place you are awesome students and professors and staff members but it's our unity that makes us what we are we come from all kinds of churches different backgrounds different teaching different pastors and thank God pastors have liberty but when we come here we don't give up our doctrines we don't give up our standards but together we work in unity to accomplish what God has called us to do. I got to quit. Stand with me. Barnabas was a good man, but it wasn't by accident. He was a giver. He saw the good in people. He gave people second chances and third chances and fourth chances. He saw there was something worth saving. There was potential. And he saw that unity mattered. That it was worth whatever it cost. But finally, and here's the deal. Paul writing in Romans 7 said, The things that I love, the things that I want to do, that I know to do. Now he's talking from a sinner's perspective. He said, I do not. And the things that I hate, those are the things I do. And he describes, I was telling the theology class the other day, he says, who shall deliver me, oh wretched man that I am. I want to be a good person, but I don't know how. To will is present, but how to perform that which is good, I know not. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And what he's describing is what is said to be probably rare, but possibly real. That some murderers were sentenced to bear the decaying, rotting, putrefying bodies of their victims strapped to their backs. And as their victim's body corrupted with the maggots and the flies and 
all of the other horrible details. It took their own life through disease. They could not shake their crime. Their sin destroyed them. And this is what Paul was envisioning. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That I want to be good, but I don't know how. I want to make a difference, but I don't know how. I want to be a better person, but I just can't. And he begins into, uh, in the next chapter, in the very first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That walk, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. See, finally, Paul, or, or rather Barnabas, was a good man. Because he was full of the Holy Ghost and faith. Without that... There's no hope of being a good person. Unless you're full of the Holy Ghost and of faith in God and that Holy Ghost. You don't have it in you. It's just not there. The body of death will claim you in the end. But if you stay full of the Holy Ghost, you'll be a giver. You'll see the best in people. You'll believe the good and not the bad. You will understand unity and you'll strive for it in your life. And more than that, you'll become, by walking in the Spirit, a good person. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Lord, for your word, its power and truth. Thank you for what it means, the direction it gives, the hope it offers. Lord, we want to be good people. We want to please you in what we do. We want to make a difference in our world.